Welcome, movie fans. Tonight, we're dissecting the last Wolverine movie with Hugh Jackman, or so we think. Who knows? We'll find out. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We're back with Anatomy of a Movie to talk about Logan, Hugh Jackman's final movie as the Wolverine. We have a great panel. Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. Marissa Serafini. Hello, And Johnny Snick. Cash. <laughs> Johnny Cash. From um, the dead. As you guys know, we're if, if, if this is your first time joining us, be forewarned. We're very spoiler-filled. Filled. So we assume at this point you've seen the movie, are ready to talk about it with us extensively, symbolically, um, filmmaking-wise, and all that good stuff in between. So, and secondly... Uh, if, if you want to follow along, you can click the link to the rundown. Uh, it's uh, it's all of our thoughts and notes that we might not always get to, so that way it supplements what we discuss here. Uh, as we always do, let's start with overall thoughts. Uh, Marissa, you are a Hugh Jackman shirtless fan. I am. <laughs> I'm very, very Hugh Jackman shirtless fan. I enjoy this for for the most part. Um, it's not my. I'll just say it's not my favorite Wolverine film. Um, I, I think there are others films that he's portrayed that are more fun, more actioning, more like involved. Me personally, um, with the film, I think as a story is really good. Um, as a film, it, it was very slow, drawn out, which I wasn't expecting for this film. And uh, yeah, it definitely took its a different creative turn, which um, I'm open to. I'm not sure if I liked it though. Um, as we talk more about it, I think I might convince myself that I really liked it more than I thought I did. But well, I got I mean, something. I got a bomb for you later that you might love the movie because okay. of. Well, Hugh Jackman's great, and I think his acting was so good in this film. Um, but as an overall movie, yeah, it was it was good. All right. Dimitri. You know, well, for me, I think you're hard-pressed to find a superhero movie past, present, future that has the emotional heft as Logan does. The only thing I can really compare it to are maybe the Chris Nolan Batman movies, um, being dark, grittier, more humanistic in a sense. Um, but I think James uh, Mangold, writer-director James Mangold and Hugh Jackman craft, it's basically Shane and Unforgiven, uh, meaning... It's a superhero movie with a Western grit. Like, this really is a Western, uh, in a sense. A superhero movie that's really about consequences and how they can shape a man, a woman, and, and especially a child. Uh, Sir Patrick Stewart, uh, been a fan, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, uh, for me uh, in this movie. Uh, he delivers a performance that is so opposite of what we've become to expect from 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 Professor Xavier, that to me it was it was jarring. Um, you know, his stroke of genius casting, aside from the hiring of Hugh Jackman since way back when, uh, this Daphne Keene as Laura, aka X twenty three, she delivers a ferocity, and yet she still remains this childlike. And she, I found her to be like truly amazing, and and and. Standing toe to toe with our main characters and being able to just 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 do it, just get it done, and and not be annoying, uh, not be too meek about it. I thought she was fantastic, um, you know. And don't take away her Pringles, uh, you know. And as for Hugh Jackman, you know, he's done his bit for King and Queen. 
regarding Wolverine, regarding X-Men. You know, he's earned his claws over and over again. And I think more actors now should embrace and protect their franchise characters as he has. Um, As many roles he has performed, he'll most be known for Wolverine. You know, but we've seen him do other things. He's a very talented, gifted actor, whether he's on Broadway and or film. Uh, But, you know, he seems okay with this decision. And, well, you know what? I am, too. Uh, it's, It's good to get out when it's right and do it right. I, I will go back to Roger Moore as James Bond. Uh, you know, I'm a fan of the Roger Moore James Bond, but when it came time for a view to view to a kill, he was he was a little bit too old, and by a little bit, he was too old to play that, and it was obvious. Um, and I always looked at that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And I compare that to actors today. When is the good time to like cut out? And I think Hugh Jackman earned his stripes, and he earned this ending. And it was, and he did it as for me, it was very impactful as a fan of X Men and uh, the fa- the past few Wolverine movies. So he was fantastic. Well, we'll definitely talk about the Western feel of it. Certainly, Shane, Unforgiven. Uh, and we'll sort of... I, I definitely want to talk about... The, there's already talk that this could be an Oscar contender. I mean, if it's not... Un, as you point out, it's not unlike Unforgiven. And that one best picture mm-hmm. at the time, 92, I think. So, uh, we'll see. H- however, I do want to... What were your thoughts? Well, my thought is this. Uh, I, I absolutely enjoyed the movie. But one of the things I do want to praise it for, I think... You, you know, as mo- as good a movie is, and I think it does stand up on its own. I think one of the best things is is the culmination of all his 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 years of being Wolverine. It, it comes to an end, and it's I think it's the sum of seventeen years well earned um, that make it that much more impactful. So you know, I, I get that there's a couple of movies that weren't as great. However. Because of all that, I think it helps elevate this so much more because you can remember back on those movies and now they're sort of elevated by this. Um, so it's it's fun to see Agreed. retroactively give give some of those movies a better grade. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it'll give uh, the third X-Men movie a better grade or even the first Wolverine movie that much better mm-hmm. of a grade, but he stuck with it, you know? Right. Sometimes an actor, if they're in, like, a clunker, like, they might... They're very hesitant to come back, but uh, I think when James Mangold came on board to do Wolverine, uh, that Wolverine movie, uh, yeah, I thought that was great, um, and really took Wolverine in the direction that we had hoped that first Wolf, that the X Men Origins movie would have taken us. Um, well, he was also even before that. Not, it wasn't big, but he was in X Men First Class. He, sure. he had a fun cameo. Yeah, it was absolutely. quick, but. Nonetheless, he didn't have to do that. He's been in all of the X-Men movies. Even He's been in them all. Even Apocalypse had 
you know, he was in Apocalypse for a few minutes, and Apocalypse had a maybe a foreshadowing to this movie as well, uh, you know, as its as its button, which this one didn't have. This one didn't have uh, the button, and I know many people, including myself, stayed till the very very end, and it didn't have it. And I got to be honest, sort of kind of refreshing. It was good. It, it was felt not. like the ending of something, which we'll definitely talk about. Yeah. Um, let's start with the development. Um, side of it, and then we'll also quickly backtrack to um, what people are calling foreshadowing. But Marissa, do you want to talk about the uh, the, the sort of inception of all of this? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting because as the X Men fans and just fans of Marvel, in, in and of itself, we know that there's always going to be more films, <laughs> especially with Wolverine until you know this last one. But yes, uh, Century Fox began negotiations for you know another film for Wolverine and James Mangold was uh, in nego- negotiations to write the treatment for the film, and it, Lauren Schuler Dunner ret- returned to produce um, from the company, uh, from the Donner's company to get this. And, yep. and be- even in the early stages, about a couple years ago, Hugh Jackman was kind of not really telling the public if he was confirmed for another film like this. So, I mean, the the idea has been out there, but they try to keep it hush-hush a little bit, as they all do. Well, it's interesting. He, uh, unlike, he eventually became went from, like, a picture-to-picture deal instead of a multi-picture deal, and so that's kind of what was holding it up a little bit, um, which is to your point, Demetri, about, you know, that he really cared for it, and so if he was going to do one, he didn't want to do it because it was in his contract. He wanted to do it creatively. It made sense. Um, and they wanted to work together, Mangold and Jackman. Um, and the third film together. So. Kate and Leopold. Yeah, that's a great film. I just rewatched that a few months ago. <laughs> um, not gonna lie, uh, I, I liked it because You're you, you lie can definitely that tell. You saw it or that it's no, a great I watched film. it in December over Christmas break. Uh, so it, it, it's it's always good when the the actor and the director already have you know a working relationship together, and you can definitely tell in this film. Yeah, well, let's um, I, I kind of taking I, I let's show a clip from Wolverine that sort of in in some sense you could say is the nugget that jumps off all of this. Um, so if you will, Steve Egbert in the booth, go ahead, roll that clip. So this is from Wolverine. So for those of you watching, um, this is toward or those of you listening, this is towards the end of the movie. Of, of Wolverine. Actually, I believe this is towards... I don't believe this is towards the end. This is, like, in the middle. Middle end. Towards yeah. the middle end. Yeah. Anything past halfway... The halfway point is already, for me, the, the end. <laughs> Everything's culminating. I gotta get that thing out of me. How? Stop, Logan. I saw you die. I'm never wrong. I'm never wrong. You're not always right. You didn't know the old man was gonna bite it. I saw you die in the room like this with your heart. I just in your can't head. leave it with those freaks and killers, Yuke. I'm the only chance she's got. Not with that thing inside me. You're going to die, Logan. Maybe that's okay. Um... No, listen to me, Logan. No, stop. <laughs> Logan! You're not gonna wanna watch this part. No, listen to me, please. <laughs> no! Uh, no, stop. Uh, it's getting dark a little bit here, too. We talk about Logan in his dark movie. Stay away from him. He killed your master. 
your hands on your sister. Now you want him? This is quite the long scene. I was hoping we would just get the exact quote, but we'll enjoy it nonetheless. And I think thus far, though, I think the dialogue that has the most clarity is when she says, you're going to die, and he says, maybe that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's okay. This could have been him dying. And I promise there's a point to this. We're not just watching just to watch. Alright, they're fighting. It's a great action piece. Yeah, and this and this girl was was great. She was great. Great, great. That was it? So, they didn't have the quote? No, it had the quote at the beginning when she says, I see you dying, you're in a room like this, you're dying, have your hand in your heart. And he, as we know in Logan, uh, he dies, and if you scroll up, they have like the dialogue, she says, yeah, you're bloody. There's blood all over the place, you have your heart in your hand, and... You know, which symbolically, symbolically for Logan, you know, her his heart is is, is X twenty three. So, you know, I think I think the other interesting thing to note that we didn't talk about this pre production, believe it or not, that the seed was planted in Hugh Jackman by of all people, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, <laughs> which I found apparently they're good friends. They had dinner in New York. And they were t- and Jerry Seinfeld was talking about what it was to, to end Seinfeld. And he's like, you have to do it when it feels right to do. To, you know, when you're comfortable in letting it go. And that sort of planted the seed in him going, yeah, you have to. For the benefit of Jerry, because <laughs> when I read that, I just f- f- see like backlash for fans. F you, Jerry. Jerry didn't give him the exact idea. He just gave him the... They were talking about it. And and he mentioned they were talking about endings. It's the concept of knowing when to stop at a good point. Right. And knowing to do it, you know, try to do it well. Um, And that sort of struck Hugh Jackman as, yeah, you know, maybe maybe this is the time for me. And let's face it, he's not getting any younger. These movies have to be more difficult to do. Um... So, and the tack, I think, that they took on this one, they really did make it a much more humanistic story. Um, He's not fighting robots. They're not fighting aliens. They're not saving the world. They're trying to save themselves. And, And in doing so, as I said at the top, it really is a movie about consequences. Consequences for actions that have taken place in the past, right? And then how do you deal with that violence now, in a sense, it's very much like Unforgiven. Giving that up and just, we just want to get the hell out on a boat and, and get away from, from civilization. And then, wait, I have a daughter? And, you know, coming to grips with that as well. 
And I think this movie handled that really well. You might have liked my th- midway through Marissa. My theory was that it was his daughter through Jean Grey. I thought so too. I thought that from the minute I saw the trailer. I, but like not even watching the film, I was like, it's it's no coincidence that that little girl looks like a young Fonka Jansen right now. Thank you. I thought <laughs> I mean, when I'm watching it, going, that was oh, by character choice. Yeah, I thought so. And what's interesting is. Is that they were going to have? They were going to mention Jean Grey, and they did in uh, the dinner scene uh, at the house. They were going to mention Jean Grey uh, in that scene, in which um, uh, Xavier says, um, b- "Because Wolverine was asked, have you do you have someone in your life?'" And Xavier says, "Well, he was married once, but he killed her," mm-hmm. and. You know, that was clearly a reference to Jean Grey. And James Mangle says, we took it out. We took that. He goes, we literally took it out of the script because that dinner scene was supposed to be a breather for our characters. Like, they were supposed to experience something nice, something fun, where there was no fighting or responsibility. And throwing that in there would have brought the darkness back, and it would have been really heavy. So we decided against it. I think it's a good choice. I thought it was a really good choice because that really, that scene when they get to that farmhouse literally is, up until the end, it really is for those characters a scene where they can just sit down and sort of kind of relax and sort of have a nice family dinner. Uh, I thought it would play really well. It will be on the Blu-ray, though, from what I understand. And she did play, I thought she looked like a very young Famke Jansen. And I was like going... Oh, she's got to be... That's how she's See, the daughter. And, and that's the thing, you know, because I was watching this whole film waiting for, like, the last minute, and maybe we'll get some semblance of Jean Grey. And we didn't get it then. I think that's also why I was kind of disappointed at the end, because it, I felt like it didn't really round out Wolverine's story arc with the people in his life yet, because that was just left so open-ended and I wasn't satisfied. Well, it, it is and it isn't. I mean, it, what, what what gets confusing about it, and they've done this in other movies, the timeline's not quite the same. Yeah, uh, so even, he, he did kill Jean Grey in X3, but then they reset the timeline so she's back. So in this now reset timeline, she's dead again. Exactly, and we didn't see how she died. No, and... There's much said, and I don't know when we'll talk about it, but the the, the quote-unquote Westchester incident. Mm-hmm. Sure, let's talk about it now. Was filmed, actually, uh, and ultimately, again, decided to be taken out of the movie. And it was supposed to be the first scene of the movie. And um, this Westchester incident is, is something when, when, when Xavier, Charles Xavier, uh, is going through one of his seizure episodes... And bad things that happen. Being that it's Westchester, we can assume that it happened at the the school for the gifted, uh, the X Men school. And uh, many X Men, if not all the X Men, died. And the only one who could survive anything like that would be Wolverine because of his regenerative properties. I understand why they took it out. And James Gold, James Mangold, really he puts he makes a really great argument. He goes, "That was going to be our opening scene." Is when you watch the movie, if that's your opening scene, then that's what the movie becomes about because it's so it's so heavy. You see what happens. And he said to me, he goes, I didn't want it's better to have it brought up in the movie 
But then, and I agree, because I think then it becomes sort of an X-Men movie. And this is what happens to the X-Men, as opposed to it being a Wolverine-Logan movie. And when it's talked, when we're told, when we're given dialogue and said something really tragic happens, we know something bad happened at Westchester. Still be interesting to see the scene if they put it on Blu-ray, you know, to see what happened. I agree, you don't need it, number one, because... I love the way it starts with Logan, right? You get the title card, then you see Logan. You know that this is his movie. This is what it's about. Secondly, as great as it, I'm sure the scene is, it's exposition at that point for no other reason. We we we, we get it told later on, and just ha- it has just as much of an impact, if not more. So um, you're right. I, I, I I'm glad they chose not to do. It. I think I think they made the right choices along. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, the name of this movie alone is called Logan. Like it's not called Wolverine, you know, you know, the past it's meets the future. A it's a human name. Yeah, it's it's X-Men Logan, um, and uh, that that alone sets it apart from it being your typical superhero movie. Well, it's the, I, I, are any of you guys familiar with Old Man Logan, the the comic that it's, it's uh, let's say at the very least loosely based on. No, no. I'll, I'll be honest. No. I'm not familiar either, but um, you know it's it's similar similar to this. Um, and I'm not a comic book person, so if you guys want the sort of Marvel tie-in, go listen to Marvel Movie News. They're a great show. Um, but from my understanding, it, obviously it's it's based upon that. Um, and how the the only part that's not in there is X23, so Laura. However, uh, you know, in terms of criticism towards that comic book, people do say it feels very different. And so when you're basing it off of something that already is different in terms of the comics, you're going to have a different movie. So I think, Marissa, that speaks to your note about the fact that it feels different. Yeah. Because it is. Creatively, it was different. The tone was different. The storyline itself was different because it was more focused on one to two people in this film compared to an, uh, an entire um, entourage, you know, and not to say that it was bad. It just it changed the pace of how story things, how story plays out, how the action plays out, and that's and I wasn't expecting that yeah. whatsoever. Actually. See, I love a good western, so I was all in. See, and that's my thing. I personally like you love westerns. I personally don't, and I, I think that's why it didn't appeal to me as much as well, the other. Let let me ask you guys both this. Um, I don't have the exact quote, but the sentiment is James Mangold has went on to say he didn't say that it was a problem, but he, you you know, when people cite that there's not enough character development in superhero movies, well, he says it's simple math. You have to to save the world, you have to do this X, Y, and Z, and you have to tell the story across twelve characters. So screen time is going to be limited. You can't get to that depth. Right. Um. But I mean, I don't know. What's your guys' perspective on that? Does that make superhero movies bad, good? Is I that mean, a problem they sh- should address? That's that's understandable, but you got to remember, like Wolverine's the only character that got his trilogy spinoff. The other char- X Men characters haven't. We haven't seen that in films. So yeah, Wolverine by time and math has had more screen time to go into his character and get um, get down to the the meat of all of his, um, you know storylines whereas like if you just you only see the other x-men characters when you there's an actual x-men movie movie. right to be i think to be fair though too 
uh, that Wolverine X-Men Origins movie, that was supposed to be a platform for Fox and Marvel. They were supposed to do other origin stories of other X-Men. That That's why it was specifically called X-Men Origins Wolverine. They went with the most popular character first to see, hey, you know, what can we do now? The movie made money at the box office, but it really was not received well by fans. And Fox sort of kind of... There's lots going on with Fox. Marvel is a property itself. And it's like, well, do we want to... You know, they had a they had paths to choose, and they chose to, in a sense, do like an X Men Days of Futures Past. And if we make another Wolverine movie, it's going to be a departure of what we had. And this and this is bringing James Mangold in again. And again, when you look at that last Wolverine movie, it plays like a noir. It's a samurai movie, noir mystery kind of movie, and it's really well done. It's a little bit out of the box as well. And with this, James Mangold, uh, in an interview uh, on uh, on The Hollywood Reporter, you know, he's like, both Hugh and I and all of my compatriots and collaborators, the goal was to try and do something out of the box and try to undermine a lot of kind of default settings of these movies in terms of story methodology, storytelling style. We wanted to be more naturalistic, having less green screen, less visual effects and more analog, less characters, as you were saying, and not building the film on presumptions of kind of these epic stakes that the world will be destroyed. And that's actually something to me that I sort of enjoyed about this movie. You know, there weren't aliens from space. There were, you know, they, they weren't, the world wasn't at bay here. It was... Wolverine's character and P- Professor Xavier—that's what was saving. There was redemption going on. I know I'm jumping the gun here, but I—I I, I, when you say that quote, I want, I want to sort of take it in a different direction. A little backtrack. Sure. When he says less visual effects, I—it blew my mind. There's literally an article, and it's part of our rundown, dedicated to all the visual effects you missed, which is Hugh Jackman. And uh, Daphne Keene. They literally did uh, what they did with Rogue One and um, uh, the guy. Uh, who's the guy? Uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. That's it. And, and, and Princess Leia. They the basically did the same thing for Wolverine and, uh, and Laura, which blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. The fact that they would even like consider that. And they pulled it off where if I had never read that article, I would have assumed that's just them throughout the whole movie. But when when uh, when Hugh Jackman looks old, like in, they they do a various in depth version of it. But for example, when he's in the car and they're trying to escape, he does not look as old as he does. Mm-hmm. It's a very fascinating process, and it blew my freaking mind. Yeah, hmm. what's your guys' perspective? Blew well, mine too. I didn't know. I didn't know. I thought that was just like great makeup. <laughs> yeah, same here. I know. But I think it's also you don't realize because you're so busy caught up in the action. He's literally being shot at. He's literally fighting all, all these things. All we have all these outside variables that we're already focusing on rather than and like as the audience who are watching it's already established the fact that he's older. He 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 looks older. So you like okay now that you know that, you're not really thinking about his age anymore. You're just thinking, oh, you better get the hell out of there because they're shooting you up for it. Yeah. You know? He's older. He moves a little slower. 
Yeah, you know, he's coughing up a storm. Uh, he's he's uh, he's sick. He's sick. And, and if I if I heard the line of dialogue, it was from his adamantium. Yeah. And and it's inside. Yeah, and he didn't. Uh, you know, the thing that saved him is the thing that's chewy eating him up inside. And he didn't want treatment. He like like he said in that clip we played. He goes, you know, but you're gonna die. And he's like, maybe that's okay. You know, maybe that's okay. And he was at a point where maybe that's okay. Well, especially at that point. I mean, to be honest, I think the only reason why he survived up until that point is because he's his only purpose is Xavier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then once in this case Xavier is gone, then his sort of only purpose is to make sure Laura's safe, whether. At that point in the movie, he wants to admit it to himself or not, right? So, and and you're right. Uh, Mangold has gone on to say that that's very poetic of of adding adding antium, adamantium being yeah. being that thing that simultaneously helps him and hurts him, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I I think it's great too because we've had other films that establish what adamantium does and how it makes him more powerful and how he is the person that he is. And I, there, there was the one line that we got from Caliban that was kind of eye-opening for me, where he's like, you're sick, and I can, I can even smell it. I can feel right. it. You know, it's within you. I was like, oh, you know, when other people know that something's internally wrong with him, then it's serious. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, real fast before we get into the, 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 the harder stuff, I want to talk about uh, it, the movie as self-referential. The fact that the comics are in there. They're not actual comics. They were made specifically for the movie. But nonetheless, there's X-Men comics. So people are aware that they are people and they're comic book yeah. characters. And there are X-Men action figures, obviously, because somebody has an X-Men action figure doll. One of the kids yeah. has it. Like, what was your guys' perspective on that? I found that very interesting to throw in there. This is I, the first time we've ever seen it. I liked it. It kind of came... It, it's, just kind of like full circle in, in a way and also you talking about that just that self-awareness and there was even the line he's like maybe they got so much percent of this right and but we know right. that these characters were legendary and iconic that to the point that they actually made stories and it helped them and it actually gave them a purpose too because now they have a specific location to go to if if we didn't have these comics in this film what else would have helped him go to that one place. Yeah. yeah. Trying to find Eden, I believe it yeah, was called. Yeah, Eden. So uh, I feel like the comics, they they poked fun at it, but it was also <laughs> helpful to, you know, give them a place to go to. It, it literally drove the story forward. Right, yeah. It gives a world within the world. Um, you know, uh, the television uh, show Supernatural actually has used oh, yeah. that device uh, in, in which based, in which books supernatural books are being written mm-hmm. and 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 I about trust. Sam and Dean and they're all they're almost prophetic yeah. <laughs> at certain parts so you know but it's a good device because it creates a world within that world and it's it it also leads to you know look Charles she's an X-Men fan you know and he says that thing about yeah like mm-hmm. 10% of it's you know Eighty percent, you know, ten percent of it happened, and eighty percent of it's like all fake. And you know, the the coordinates being given for Eden, uh, you know, which which is a nice twist because do you believe it? Do you not believe it? Who wrote it? You know, it's yeah. it's it was pretty fascinating. Well, I, I like the middle ground that they ended up on was that it's not a real place, but yeah. it's real to them, so therefore that's their meeting spot. Yeah. I, I really enjoy that, and I think it, it, it too. 
it kind of it, it you know I, I think it's interesting superhero movies kind of they they have waves and whatever and i think there's a sign of times and in this particular case the i think you know obviously deadpool is very self-referential um but but just the notion that uh as you guys pointed out not all of it happened and there's a consequence to everything and, and it's something that obviously the the avengers are exploring with civil war where they're like hey listen you guys in new york you guys and blah 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 that had real world consequences while it was you know and it's something that we can look back on while you know the first avengers was a great movie the second avengers what is it called sokovia um yeah they're great however there's consequences to that and yeah. so same thing with this you know we always thought and that's why i also love the radar version of this is because as much as like the, the pg violence in the past now you think about wow wait there's humanity to each of those kills to each of those stories sure and and you you brought up the, like the consequences and being in this being rated r as opposed to pg-13 which is very fascinating because the from the get-go james mangold was like one of my main reasons for wanting rated r wasn't just to be able to deliver audiences that action he goes because much of this movie kind of dived into violence of having a lead character and a daughter with claws. I think it's about feeling the weight and the loss that the aftermath of violence results in. And again, it just goes back to consequences. Um, this was a brutal movie. <laughs> I thought watching this movie, I was like, oh my... Like, they really held no punches. Even in the last Wolverine when he's cutting himself open, they cut away right when they should. Uh PG-13, in my opinion, we've talked about this, mm -hmm. has been pushing the envelope. Like the, uh, Jungle Book is, is one movie that was... It like could PG have been PG-13. I mean, yeah. PG-13 is continually pushing this envelope to saying, hey, we're becoming more violent, um, maybe a little bit more intense with language. Uh even when you it's scarier, like look at some of the Harry Potter movies. Look at some of these teen movies that that are going dark, <laughs> and this movie just went full R. But I didn't find it to be exploitive in any way at all. It was brutal. Not you know this is not going to be selling Happy Meals. Uh, I'm not even necessarily sure it's for twelve year old kids. But I, I it wasn't exploitive violence. All the violence that happened in this film was earned. You know. Yeah, and I think that, like the the first ten fifteen minutes when really nothing was happening, hmm. we got like all the f bombs out of the way. <laughs> right. And like, okay, yeah, this is this is their attitude right now. This is their stance on life. F this, f that, f you. Get the f out of here. You know, it. Like they definitely used their quota for you know R rated um, aspects of this, and it just again established a different tone of this film that you don't get in all the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. What did you guys think of the, there was a Washington Post article that talked about the dystopia element and how it, it wanted to veer away from that notion and say, because, you know, the reason I bring this up, Marissa, uh, early on, there's life outside to be had. It's just not very happy for Logan and Charles Xavier. Sure. But, there, but it's not a dystopian future. It just is for mutants. For for mutants, it's it's horrible because there are no more mutants, um, whether it be by Charles Xavier's hands or for whatever. Uh, there are also no tigers. Did you catch that bit of dialogue as well? There was a bit of dialogue towards the beginning where we first meet our 
you know, our, our, our main bad guy when he says something to the effect of, yeah, there are no tigers either. You really get that they're, okay, so we're definitely in the future. Something... We killed know, all tigers. Something happened with, with either an ecosystem or whatever, but we know that mutants don't exist anymore with the exception of both Charles Xavier, and we see the state that he's in, and Logan, and Caliban, um, who was also, he was in Apocalypse uh, as well. Quite different. Yeah. So I like the world that they set, and to your point, a Western, in a sense, it you can pl- plug a Western into... New York City, you can take those stories, but this was truly done in the West, and it's separated from any type of technology, so to speak. There weren't, they weren't like in big high rises. They weren't like it wasn't. Um, uh, uh, what's the? Um, I keep, what's the Keanu Reeves movie we just talked about? Oh, John Wick. Yeah, it's not like John Wick's New York or anything like that. We're basically isolated from society. Society is moving on. Like, we don't know of any ecological disaster that's wiped anybody out. They're just, oh, they need to be away from society so that Xavier does harm to no one. Um, So that's why they're so isolated, so to speak. And that isolation, I think, really thematically for this movie, just adds that depth. Absolutely. You know, because we see what happens when, you know, he goes to a casino. You know, we could see what ha- you know. We see what happens. Well, we there. see what happens when someone points a gun at him. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he needs to be yeah. in casino for that. Absolutely. It's just, yeah, I, I understand. It's like when you remove yourself from everybody else, from technology, and you you are more isolated. It it also establishes a sad atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't have loving, supporting system right now or foundation. Um, and and I think that it added to. Logan and even Charles because it is just those two. They're looking out for each other and it's sad when no one else is there to be there. Yeah, in Caliban and like their goal is to get a boat and get way the hell away from civilization. Um, and Logan's actually just looking forward to that. You know, I, I don't want to see people, he didn't want to see people either. You know, or save people anymore or fight the good fight. He was tired, and he he was a beaten man. Absolutely. Um, so let's let's explore that father son relationship of Charles and, and those guys. Um, I thought I really loved. You know, you had mentioned the dinner scene, and that was <laughs> it worked so well. Just yeah, he you, you don't want to poke at him. He's a he's a professor. He ran a school, and, mm-hmm. and then he made fun of him back of oh yeah, you were the worst. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was a very touchy moment. Um, and just the way Charles at the end died, where it was simultaneously his happiest moment, but he was also confessing of all the pain that he's done. Um, it just it just really blended all those elements so well all into one. Um, it was absolutely fantastic to watch. Yeah, I think it was great, and I saw it completely predictable, too. Um, but, I mean, that didn't bother me because... You you see how much their relationship has evolved within all these films. They are family. They do truly care about each other. And it was, it was just sad that that's how it went down at the end. Um, but I did like how Charles got to say his last final words. Literally. To me, that was very tragic. Um, because we know how that, ple- that how that scene plays out. You know, he's not talking to... 
his comrade, his good friend Logan. You know, he's uh, X-24, I believe that was. Right. You know, I was looking at that scene a couple of ways. Number One of the ways I looked at it was it was a makeup for the horrible similar part that happened in the X-Men Origins Wolverine, where Wolverine comes across Mon Pa Kent, essentially. Uh, and and that, that scene just played out. It was just silly. It was just, yeah, it was just dopey. And, oh, our son, oh, take his clothes. It seems to, oh, it was awful. But this scene really did have, uh, there there was decent emotion to it. And you did get that breather. They had fun at that table, even though they were exchanging barbs. And even Xavier, for a moment, seemed happy. He didn't seem demented. Um, Lucid. Yeah, and... I, I, you know, I, I will say, for me anyways, I didn't see that the entire family was going to get wasted. I mean, that, I was, that was... Oh, it. I totally saw that. Yeah, I didn't see that coming at all. like, just look at all the X-Men films that Wolverine passes, you know? Like, all the innocent people that become part of his life, even if it's for a brief stint, just like, oh, they're too nice, they're going to get killed. Yeah, I didn't think that, I I didn't think that I whole totally family was going to get Did you think that family was going to get wiped out? Especially, like, the kids? Like, I did not think that the, the entire family... Not but, in the but, way that it went well, down. Well, they started with the kids, so at that point, I'm like... Yeah. At that point, right. I thought, tragically, maybe they might let the father live, and he's like, what the hell? No. How far? A few guys. And, and but again, that's the thing. Like, Wolverine slash Logan always says, you know, bad things happen to the people I love. Yeah. And even, like, the people he doesn't love but just come a part of his life. Like, you knew this family's too nice. They're going to die. Well, yeah, also, I he wanted to get out. And that, that's what makes us. He's like, I, I, he, he knew better. He was like, I do not. I should not be here. Right. This is nice. This is too nice to be had right now. We need to go. We need to go. And the way that in which it was set up too, because we had, we had the townies, like who were causing mischief and trouble with that heroes, and they were coming into town. And then we had our, our other, you know, group come in. Uh, what are they? What are they? Transgen. Trans, yeah, trans, yeah, trans, transgen. Uh, yeah, they come into town, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! There's a lot happening, and yeah, it was pretty brutal. It was pretty brutal, and then we lost. I mean, we lose Xavier, and for me, like I said, that one had a. I didn't expect him. I didn't expect him to die. In the movie, not that I expected I him to go on. Yeah, I didn't expect him to die too. I, but I, not the way in which he died either. Yeah. That yeah. that was not awful. in the way in which he died. But I, like I knew <clears throat> Charles was going to die. Like yeah, I, the, I felt like this whole film was predictable. So and I think that's also why I was like dissatisfied yeah. at the end. I was like everything I was expecting happened. No. And even the trailer gave it away. Like you saw a shot of Wolverine with the shovel. I was like, oh, he's digging a grave for someone. So it has to be Charles. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, the the way in which Charles went, I was, that was very harsh. disturbing. It was, it was disturbing. I think he's. I I think to me, in a way, I don't know. I ex, I ex, definitely expected. I expected Wolverine to die, but what? Here's the thing. It it's just dramatic irony. You know, you're you're not watching. You know, he's gonna die. For me, it was just a matter of oh, they put the they crafted it so wonderfully that even if I know that it's okay, that's not what this is about. They're not. They're not trying to be M. Night Shyamalan with a plot twist. They're just telling a very beautiful story. 
Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I... So, anyway. So, and again, though, uh, talking about from 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 the screenwriter who is writing about this, and, you know, he goes... You know, he mentions Professor X already died in X-Men 3 and was sent off in a way fans hated. He goes, uh... And this is the question. Were you conscious of that as you crafted his death in this movie? It's like, I don't know if we constantly tried to do that, but I know in the middle of the movie, we kept feeling this desire to have this respite. Where for 30 seconds, they can have this life that is never available to them. and But they can have it for a couple of hours, and it's a cruel, cruel, cruel detour. Uh, we thought there could be a lot of emotion there, and it could be also a way of ending Professor X's story with the most normal family in a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it was like you said, too, he was happy, you know, for, 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 for that short time, even though the dramatic irony is, is that a cloud of doom just never goes away for them. Well, it was it was so poetic, too. Um the fact that I mean it was basically Wolverine who killed him. Right. It wasn't, mm-hmm. but it it's a version. Yeah. Of so, um it's 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 definitely very poetic. I mean it shows that if nothing else like the whole X twenty four and right. Logan, there's a duality to it. Right. I mean it's just right there in your face of literally one's young, one's old. Right. <laughs> it couldn't it, the similarities need I go on yeah mm-hmm. so um did you find it uh just talking about Xavier for a little bit did you see the irony that where they had him housed was basically cerebro like he was in a dome with holes that to me they looked like stars I mean they basically found another cerebro for him to be in, but that shielded his psionic powers from 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 the rest of the world. But even that was giving away. But to me, I just found it very. It was probably it had to have been purposely coincidental that it looked like the cerebro. I think uh, I think so. I mean, uh, <clears throat> early on in the trailer stuff, people were speculating that they built a makeshift cerebro, and so I sort of knew that going in. Yeah. I don't know. Um, shall we talk about the father-daughter relationship? Sure. Do let's. <laughs> Marissa, you're a daughter. Kick <laughs> us off. Oh, great. Um, I, you know, I, again... I thought well, I'm not the father, so I, 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 I qualify story. none of the two. Um, I, li- I like the fact of, you know, the storyline, because it's nice to see um, Logan take care of someone else again and like have him care for someone uh we saw a little bit of like a father-daughter relationship kind of with um when we had rogue in the earlier films like that was a good pairing and i think it's good to have like another person also with the same dna genetic makeup of wolverine so i like i like that it would have been nice if it was tied to gene gray but um i really liked it because it just it made Logan, like, have a reason to live again. Because at the beginning of the film, he, like, gave up on everybody. He gave up on life. He gave up on living and just having a life. And he didn't even want to believe this. Why did he have to help this girl? Like, yeah. he didn't want to believe that somebody could be coming from his DNA. Yeah. You know? Well, in that sense, 
you know, as much as I would have loved the Jean Grey tie-in, I actually think it's a little bit stronger upon thinking about it. You know, it ties into X-Men Apocalypse with that stinger. However, the, the greater aspect of it is much like he was created and that's sort of what he's always fought with internally. He sees the, he, the, the ending of it is, you know, be better than I was essentially to her. And, you know, that she has a choice to not be like him. And so, therefore, that's what he wants from her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, thought, I, I felt that was stronger rather than just, like, you know, an accident with him and Jean Grey. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but I, I welcome that because it's nice to see, like, another character that has the same traits as Logan but from someone else other than... And we're just like, hey, someone else can also kick ass like Logan. And, and it's from an 11-year-old girl. Yeah, and she played it great. Again, the scene in the in the convenience the the gas station <laughs> convenience store. You know, she's just a little kid. But here are my Pringles. I got my sunglasses. But when she gets pushed, man, she goes into full snarl, like screaming, and she was ferocious, ferocious. And she carried that off. And and from what I understand, in her, in in her audition, in her audition tape. Her father, uh, um, Madrid, had filmed her, like, jumping around a room, and she was literally jumping off of, like, bookshelves and rolling and tumbling. And when James Mangold had seen this, he was like, "That, that, that's her. Like, that's her. We need to get her. And he went to Fox and said, that's her. And they're like, well, we, we should probably look at a little bit more. He's like, you can look all you want. That's her. <laughs> Like yeah. ultimately, you know, they made him look at more, but he just kept on going back to her, and she, she, she was a tremendous find uh, for this movie. You needed to find somebody who could. Uh, they needed to carry it. They they needed to carry their own way, and she did it great. And at the same time, she could be a daughter, like to to Wolverine and. Yeah, I think she did a fantastic job. Finding her was a great find. Finding her was amazing. Well, her parents are both actors, um, and one of the things that they were looking for was someone bilingual that could right. speak English and, and Spanish. Um, and so she fit all those things, obviously, quite nicely. And, yeah, I think she's she's got something very special. Right. Um, so I'm looking forward to that with her. Um, anything more to add, Marissa? I, I think she, she has a great career ahead of her. She does. Um, because I, I've never seen her in anything. This is her first major film debut. And I, I think she has a lot of... Even, you know, for a character who hardly spoke in this film, she's so True. expressive. And you can definitely tell if she was happy or angry or, or lucid or whatever. And I, I think she has a great career. And it, was, and it was also important that 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 the actor actress uh, be Spanish speaking as well, um, which 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 he carried carried off quite fluently. She is Spanish speaking, um, so that's a great you know that's a, that's a great uh, push for you know when you talk when we're always talking diversity, you know you can look at this because it was specifically written for this and and she pulled it off as an actress uh, who can carry. You can do the English when needed, and she carried out the Spanish, and uh, I, th- I thought she was great. I, th- I thought she was great. Absolutely, yeah. She, she, yeah, just even though even early on the way she ate 
the serial and all those things, <laughs> you know, just, just actions so so much. And uh, what was fun, too, so the, the bilingual thing, uh, Xavier talking with her. And I, I love the fact that we didn't really need anything subtitled. He was just like, loco, choo-choo. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you just got it. You understood. Okay. Right. I know what he's talking about, and right. they're communicating. Um, and then <laughs> and Logan's just making, no, that's not a choo-choo. Let's go. Time to get out of here. Um, so it was, it was absolutely great. Um, I want to go back to Hugh Jackman real fast because, he, uh, in terms of the physicality, um, he would, from my understanding, he would eat six times a day and he would start working out for, from 4 a.m. for like three hour periods. And this being definitely the more, most intensive Wolverine he's done in terms of training. Um, that's quite a lot. That's, that's quite dedication. A lot. He's always been dedicated to this role, you know, and, and his training regimen and diet regimen. I, I, in all honesty, I mean, again, I think it's just part of the reason. You're getting old. It doesn't, your body doesn't snap back as quickly as it did 20 years ago. And it takes a lot to get this role and to get the body in shape, whether or not they're CGing anything. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean... He always looked good in the role. Shirtless. I mean, you know, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, well, interestingly enough, too, uh, uh, Patrick Stewart lost weight for the role, um, about 25 pounds, give or take. Um, and the interesting part for that is, you know, obviously women have had to lose weight in the past for movies. Uh, but more so, he's, for his, as he says, for his entire career, he's always been a consistent weight ever since he was a kid. He's mm-hmm. been a consistent weight. And so this was the first time that he actually did something of, of this nature. Um, and in all the scenes, you did actually carry Charles. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was, uh, it's very nice. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, there, you could see just even the way he carries him, there's just that bond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it has those elements of father son of like, uh, where, the, where the father can't really do much, but he's like, oh, come on, you're Absolutely. stupid. So it was it was good to watch. He's the one tether that that Wolverine or Logan has in the world, and Professor Xavier through all the movies. If we're just talking the movies, you know, was the one that number one. He's the most optimistic, even when it came to uh, Magneto. You know, it's like there's good in you. He always said, and and of Logan, he said, you know, he even gave Logan the birth to go look. You deserve and need to find out what your origin is. And I think this was in uh, X-Men 2. You know, where he said... I think it was the end of X-1. Yeah. He's going like, into X-2. Go find... Go find your truth and then you're always welcome back here. And, you know, there was always that great respect and camaraderie that those two characters had for one another. Because at the beginning of the first X-Men movie, Wolverine is just a loner. He has no... He calls them wheels. What do they call you, wheels? (laughs) (laughs) Saber dude. Blah, blah, blah. That was a good moment. It's a great moment. The first two movies are really solid movies, too. And, uh, you know, all in all, for for as many movies that there there have been, it's, it's, it's a solid series. Even with the clunkers, it still remains, you know, it still had the fortitude to go on. They still decided, well, X-Men Origins Wolverine wasn't that good. Do we even make another Wolverine movie? And it's almost like they do it to say, 
we apologize for that, <laughs> but we're going to make a really good Wolverine movie uh, with James Mangold, which they did. And uh, like I said, wrapping things up on this. Look, we know that there eventually there's going to be a reboot. You know, we've already got new actors playing X-Men, right? He's the only, outside of Patrick Stewart himself, and Famke Jansen came back for, Famke, for two seconds. Yeah. Famke came back for one, but we basically have all new characters playing the X-Men, you know, with the re-time with X-Men Days of Futures past. Eventually, it's going to happen. Well, he, what's nice is Hugh Jackman has said and that he's going to help cast the next person. Which is good. You sort of want that. I mean, if you're playing that character, it would be great to have a stamp of approval from somebody like you, who's mm-hmm. obviously beloved in that role. Yeah. Um, but sticking to this movie, let's talk about the antagonist, Pierce, who, for my money, <laughs> was uh, Tom Hardy sort of younger version. Sure. Mm-hmm. Very much, like, especially like uh, Tom Hardy from The Revenant. Right. Uh, what did you guys think of uh, both, whether his acting or just in general? I thought the character was just annoying, and he was just that that side piece to always just slow down, um, uh, slow down Logan. Was like, and he was just annoying. In not once was I ever really truly afraid of him. And the fact that he got reprimanded by his higher bosses too, I was like, yeah, you're you're just a middleman who no one gives a fuck about right now. Um, I think his acting was fine. I don't really know Boyd Halbrook, forgive me, but uh, I thought the character was just not really necessary. If you take him out, nothing else really changes. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, then who's the villain? To me, he was the main villain in a sense, not uh, uh, Richard Richard Grant, who was playing the doctor. Yeah, I I felt that... Look, I, I felt that Pierce, played by Boyd Holbrook, I thought he did. He was pretty decent. He's the one that was dogging them, and he had the army behind him uh, uh, to try to capture Logan. Well, they wanted the girl. They wanted the girl to tie up their loose ends. And, you know, I thought he was, look, ultimately it becomes a battle between X-24 and Wolverine. Okay, and X-24 was just a ferocious, off, you know, just a, he was developed to be the raptor, in a sense. Um, So, whereas Pierce didn't have that fighting ability, but he was just like that, he was just like that flea, that that mosquito that just wouldn't go away. Mm -hmm. In a sense, annoying, like you said. Well, that's exactly it, because the minute... X-24 showed up, I was more afraid of him. I was yes. like, oh, he's the bad guy, not not Pierce, and it's like, who's literally just there trying to do something. Yeah. But, like, again, I wasn't really afraid of him. Yeah, he treated Caliban terribly. Yeah, I felt but, bad for and Caliban. I felt bad for Caliban, but X-24 was a bigger threat than Pierce was. Yeah. The one plot hole that I can find with this movie is that if they're out tracking all of them if, if the whole point is that all these weapons got loose we got to go get them they're spending a lot of time on just x23 <laughs> instead of everyone else as well well i think the reason being though if you're going to make an argument because x23 if if x23 is going to have the properties that logan has that's the force that's going to be reckoned if it has if she has the rejuvenation the healing powers of, of logan it's 
she's going to grow up and she's already formidable. I mean, the scene in the warehouse towards the beginning when they all show up there and they send the three men's the, the scene where she mm-hmm. was eating the cereal. That was an awesome scene. And what I loved about it is we didn't see what happened inside. We heard the screams and she just comes out with the backpack. So it was, it, oh, she threw the head, you know? That's, I think, why they were focusing the attention because take out your main, take out the one that's almost untakeoutable. And then you'll like, focus and, on the and rest. And then we'll focus on the rest. The, the rest we could try to get a handle on, but this one, we have no real means of taking her down. Uh, well, what are you going to do? So I think that's why. If, if, you yeah, know, fair enough. That's an argument. Fair enough. Um, any other st- story elements you guys want to talk about before we move on to sort of the production? And Well, I, I guess we can move on to symbolism more, but um, anything specific to story? I think it was really interesting that, you know, because they use kids, and, and we've seen other X-Men films where they, like, miss properly like you know misuse the 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 powers of mutant kids and the way that they did it in this film was way darker than what we usually see oh yeah and in a very twisted way to the point where like you know they're being mistreated and you can't help but want to save them well dr rice is just he's not a good man (laughs) he wanted to create like there are no more mutants in the world and and his idea was well I'm going to create mutants, but I'm going to create them in such a way that I can control the mutants. I'm going to control them. And I like the woman that, that becomes the foster mother. Gabriella. To Laura. Yeah, yeah. She was really, you know, she saw what the hell was going on there. And again, you draw from, from, from an extremely supporting character who's on screen five, ten minutes tops. But you still... There's still sympathy for that character. And when you learn about what's going on, about the horrific events that are going on in that hospital. I mean, think about the evolution of the X-Men movies. Think about the, the horrific events that happened to, to Logan himself. But, 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 you know, I mean, his, his thing was... But he was an adult that consented to this. These kids didn't. <clears throat> yeah, no, well, that's true, too. They, well, and they were created. Where Logan yeah. at least still had... He always had that. He as always part of had him. that as part of him uh, because it would be that bone structure that came out. Um, they just put the adamantium in him uh, and tried to control him as well uh, from Striker. That uh, did not work. Yeah, no, no. Weapon X. Weapon X is who mm-hmm. it was supposed to be. Um, so yeah, and what they're doing to the kids was just uh, yeah. You're right. It's, it goes into a very dark place. Yeah, and then they were going to wipe them out. Yeah. They're going to wipe them out to start like, all over oh, again. Oh, failed project. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah, goodbye. Um, absolutely. Very, very dark indeed. Um, I want to talk about, this is still story related because I know we'll, if we don't talk about the death, people will be like, what the hell's wrong with you? But I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of shift into Shane because that obviously ties into the death. Death. I haven't actually seen Shane, mm-hmm. um, but, but I tried to look up. As much as I could, um, and basically Logan is Shane oh, for sure. X Men. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that great sort and of line. He's Will Money. Uh, you know, I mean, he is trying to forget his past when, for, for, from Unforgiven. I'm talking about, you know, he's Shane. He's that character, and because he's he wants to put his past of away. 
doesn't want to be brought in and he and he gets sucked back in where he has to fight again and he has to go all berserker again in order to survive and to protect well, um, big, uh, will money's big line was i'm not that anymore yep logan never says quite that but that's he's trying to get away from i mean he's a he's a limousine driver for christ's sake mm. he's trying to be as far away from that as possible yep so yeah I, you know um and unlike in in um at the end of Unforgiven, and this doesn't spoil it, um, you know, you don't, he sort of goes away. At the end of Shane, you don't know if he necessarily lives or dies. Um, here, it's very much known he's dead. He's dead. Um, but I, I, I really like that line of there's no living with a killing, there's no going back from one. Right or wrong, it's a brand, a brand that sticks. Yep. It's a good line if you're going to, I think it, it borrows from the, uh, hey, if you, if uh, if you can't come up with something creative, just steal somebody else's idea and give them credit. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. I think worked. Yeah. And what's amazing about that scene, and again, the emotion is earned in it. There was nothing that was exploited uh, about it. It wasn't as if I was forced to be emotional. But I, it's weird because I just felt that Okay, Hugh, you 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 did it. Uh, I get it. There was no reset. Like I couldn't help but think too about um, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan when Spock dies. Right? Okay. Leonard Nimoy wanted to kill off his character, and as they were getting to the scene, he had second thoughts, and they built in a reset button. Like, remember, okay? Now, Ralph Winter, who, who produced that movie, if you go into X2, there are very similar themes of X-Men 2 as well that he brings along. And there's almost a reset button with Gene Grey, mm-hmm. right? Which becomes the Phoenix, right? This movie, they could have tried to put a reset button in, maybe give him some of his own DNA or something, but they didn't. There was no reset this is a, to me now, and I think Hugh Jackman may, I don't know him as an actor, uh, or, or as a person, I should say, but it would almost seem sort of cheap to have him come back as Wolverine, because I felt that this death was earned, his ending was earned, and from a fan standpoint, from a movie fan standpoint, I felt, you know what, yeah, dude, you did good. You know, I'm sad to see you go. But you think this was a good way to go out because you, the character was emotional. He protected his character. Huh. And uh, that's why I'm saying like somebody like Robert Downey Jr. should be watching Logan and going, you know, eventually he's going to get too old to play the part. And he's going to say, I got to go. He should be thinking, you know, I and do. I think he's going to be the first to maybe opt out of the Marvel Universe you know, everything about the ending of Logan and his death, I felt, was all about the protect, protection of the character. Uh, and, and and you could tell that there was a lot of TLC. The way Gosh, that it was how, did you, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I thought it was um, very mm-hmm. fitting for how his character, you know, came full circle at the end. And the fact that he went down saving other people, I really enjoyed that. It wasn't just like he, he got... He got killed by you know the big bad. It, <laughs> it was more so he he did it in the best way possible for his character by 
helping other people. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think the emotion, the emotional part at the end when he had the daughter even like call her dad, that kind of struck a chord um, humanistically because he's not just this machine or, an, or animal. He's a human at the end of the day. And the fact that he died, he became moral. He became more human than what he was at the beginning of all these films. And the fact that he had family and he, you know, he died saving his, essentially, his family. I, I really enjoyed. Yeah. Well, it was even, they had all the right elements, even him taking the injection. And she she tells him, you took the whole thing, didn't you? She realized that, knowing that, um, because it comes after their sort of argument and she walks away and then, yeah, he, he's kind of, he's kind of shocked in a way because he wasn't expecting them to just leave. Um, and now he realizes that they're in danger. And so, yeah, he does what he needs to knowing what the outcome is going to be. And she knows the outcome as well. Um, so it, it played like it, it just even that at that point I knew that he was going to die. Yeah. And so rather than, as I, as I jokingly said, be a surprise twist. Now you're just building up for it. And when it comes, it's all just emotion, just like, like she had. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we both know. And what, you, Could you argue that, I mean, especially the way the marketing has been around this movie? See, that was the one thing that I sort of knew going in, that this is going to be Hugh Jackman's last one, and he's going to oh, die. Yeah. It's just a question of the journey and how we're going to get to that point. That That's why, I guess, in a sense, that being that this is a Logan movie, for me... Maybe I was just naive, uh, you know, and sometimes that's fun when you go into a movie naive. That's why when Xavier, Xavier was a surprise to me, that family was a surprise to me that they got wiped out and the, and the manner in which they got wiped out. I mean, the movie got dark. Um, I knew that Logan in one way, shape or form uh, that this was going to happen. It's like, OK, how are they going to handle this? Uh, I mean, we, like from the marketing alone, you you knew, right? You, you got I the knew. sense that that Hugh Jackman. Like, and I so. mean, and even the you know, promotions <clears throat> and all this have, and the whole word for the last year, like this is the last Logan film. This is the last Wolverine film. I was like, how are they going to properly finish out this character and finish out his arc if they didn't kill him? Yeah, I mean, he didn't ride into the sunset like the end of Indiana yeah. Jones and the Last like, Crusade. Or well, that led to the fourth one, Jesus. Right. But, yeah. no, but that's exactly what I was saying. While I went into this film, everything that I was expecting happened. I expected Wolverine to die, and he did. And again, it, it in a way, it was predictable, but not in the bad way. But like, because I was expecting the best possible way that they could finish a character who is known not to be killed, kill him. Well, here's here's what works, and. Uh, I think Forbes Forbes actually did a great article about sort of franchise endings, um, but at the same time reboots. Right with with, um, with Indiana Jones, yeah, you can't really kill off Indiana uh, because it has to be something else. And um, with this, it's an ending, but allows the franchise to continue. And Forbes also said like it, it sort of Logan. It's obviously a great movie, but it did benefit from that sort of last this is the last logan this is the last um hugh jackman film right so everyone's dying to go see it and it only helps that the movie's actually good right. if it wasn't right mm-hmm. so help you yeah um so it, it's it's actually very fascinating articles about was it scott mendelson who wrote I, that I think one so, yeah yeah because he's uh I, I enjoy reading his stuff he's he's pretty thought out like he's he's 
he's good. I don't agree with him mm. always, but I'm not supposed to. But he's very thought out. So yeah, he's, yeah. he's right on the money too. I look at the Chris Nolan Batman's in the same way. You don't you don't need to kill off Batman, but the way that that movie ends, you know, it could be assumed like the Batman character. I mean, we we see Bruce Wayne elsewhere at the end of that movie, but those movies that that trilogy had their arcs in each in each one. And now Warner Brothers is going to decide to go a completely different route. Um, so you can see that I like uh, look the ending of this, we, we know inevitably there's going to be... Somebody's going to pick up the mantle for Wolverine. Uh, will they make their own Wolverine movies? We'll see. It'll be a whole... St- but I like stretch. it for right now, it's the girl. Yeah. She's our incarnation. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's the same way in the comics, and I, I, I don't mind it. No. I think it's fascinating. But I, I don't mind it, but I'm also... I'm okay with it. Like, I'm okay... Mm-hmm. The inevitability of it is there. It looms in the in the near future, but I like that this how it this ended. It earned it. Yeah. You know, the, the entire series earned it. The way in which it was filmed is actually very fascinating as well. Uh, cinematographer John Matheson, um, um, he broke with director James Mangold's preferred method of just using one camera at a time, and they actually used two cameras and and. Uh, this was, in a sense, it was twofold. It was to get the emotions of, of Keen uh, and Jackman. But at the same time, uh, well, it actually did having it saved from the emotional weight of the scene. It saved from having the actors redo, 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 you know, set up, go from the other side, redo it again. And basically... Uh, because it was so powerful, they were really able to focus on the faces of the two actors, and then it just comes down to editing. You have the scenes being shot, and then it just comes down to editing them together. Um, and I just found that to be a very interesting thing that, uh, you know, James Mangold's usually using only one camera, but on this one... I found that interesting because Kurosawa was the same way until then he started using multiple cameras because he then... It allowed him to... The, the actors didn't know which camera was for which, so they could just solely focus on the performance and not playing to camera. Yeah. So it's fascinating in that way. Yeah. Uh, also, in terms for me, in terms of the setup, it was obviously in the script that it was going to be like that, that Shane tie-in. But what I loved, the, the scene where they are watching Shane. Shane. Um, that was it, it was it was Patrick Stewart's one of his favorite movies, and so he just went off. Yeah. There was no script. He, there was a script, I'm sure, but he just went off the script and yeah. just talked about it and, and <laughs> made it fun. Yep. So. He makes you go on and watch the movie. And again, what's fascinating about it because he's talking to an 11, 12 year old girl mm-hmm. who has no idea what the, what a western is, let alone what Shane is, uh, and his enthusiasm about it. It's like, I guess in a sense, I sometimes try to impart that when I talk about movies of the past that, that, that I truly love. But you can tell his passion for that movie and the way that that scene plays out. Um, you know, he's like the old grandfather going, oh, you have to see this movie. But Shane also happens to be a really great Western. It's um, one of the top yeah. 100 movies. So, of, uh, come back, Shane. Please whatever. come back. Um, Marissa, let's talk some cinematography. 
I know you love cinematography. I do love cinematography. Um, mm-hmm. Well, well, you you, t- you mentioned it earlier. I love the fact that they had two cameras to, to really get the, you know, the emotional aspect of it. But I, I think uh, there, there were some framings, um, the c- cinematography-based framing, while Mangold spoke of the framing. It's not the comic book, quote-unquote, related sort, but the highlighting of, you know, the stylistic influences that went into Logan. Um, the, the film noir type of framing, so, like, sure. the, the wide um, angles and, and streets and, um, you know, the, the different types of foreground, background um, perspective that you get in film noir shows. One of, the, one of the images that he referenced was um, when Logan's at the funeral, right? Um, he... And I, I think I think Mangold's kind of taking a lot of jabs at movies, superhero movies in particular. But um, he he talked about like that would be shot in a close up if it was like any other movie. He loved the fact that he just went wide and you just saw Logan. It was great. Like that that could be a still itself. Yeah, you know, you could yeah. print that, you could put that up sure. on your wall, and, and it'd be a great shot. Yeah, and a lot of the film was filmed in New Orleans, um, Louisiana. And also, I believe, what, what was the other place? New Mexico. Uh, New Mexico, yeah. Right. New Albuquerque. Mexico. And various there the, parts. The desert area. Not Mexico, just New Mexico. But no. Here's what I love. Um, one of the interesting parts to me was um, they finished August, um, mid-August, right, of 2016. And I guess that's... To me, given the amount of post-production work, does not seem like enough time for post-production. I am so surprised that they actually came out with a fantastic movie in that yeah. short amount of time. Uh-huh. That is a short yeah. amount of time. It's a fast turnaround, yeah. Yeah. But if you also think about it, X3, um, they f- they finished, they wrapped filming in December of 2005, and that film was released in May 2006. So they only had a five month turnaround. Yeah, that, yeah, but that was a way... shitty movie. No, I. It's not about that. It's about that. <laughs> well, I'm just that saying. High production. Is, no, well, I'm no. saying that's a. Oh my god. Right. No. The high production value th- right. with a bunch of VFX and all that. Right. They had a shorter amount of turnaround. Yeah. For no, I, I'm not. This coming, was a simpler don't, film. Don't, yeah, don't don't misunderstand. I'm not coming down on you. I'm just saying <laughs> it's what can away. happen, like. It's what can happen with talent that you have on board and what you can make with, with that time. Now, James Mangold, too, is a very... Listen, he's a, he's a talented storyteller. Um, and again, for him to, to make a Western right now shouldn't be a surprise. This is a guy that, in a sense, brought Westerns back by doing a, a remake of, of a classic Western called 310 to Yuma. Um, and when you look at the original 310... Uh, and, and his version, version, which has Russell Crowe and Christian Bale, <clears throat> uh, his version, it's great. I mean, it's one of the few. I mean, 310 to Yuma is, you know, can be considered a, a good classic Western. Um, maybe not up in the pantheon of Shane, so to speak. But he actually does a remake, which is equally, if not better, some many people said better than what its original, um, you know, where its origins came from. So... He knows the craft very well. Hugh Jackman knows his craft very well. Uh, we know that the time that it took to film this, it was on a much lesser budget. 
it was slightly under a hundred million dollars to make this movie. So it wasn't like an Avengers movie. We're not talking hundred and fifty to two hundred plus million dollars. You know, he actually they actually went in and said we want to make a lesser budget movie here. Of course, Fox is going to say, okay, okay. <laughs> not a problem. Um, but I want to go back to with cinematography is that one thing uh, to note about the cinematographer is that he worked with uh, Prince. He worked with Prince. He, he, he did eight videos with Prince and he actually put in a bit of an homage uh, to, to his purple holiness, as he calls them. Uh, that scene, um, where um, Logan kills the men trying to strip his car. Uh, a lot of it was done in purple. He did that, and he did that for... He did that because Prince had just passed away right around the time of that filming of that scene. So he wanted to pay homage to him, but I think that's a nice little Easter egg that has nothing to do with the comics at all, but, but a cinematographer who worked with uh, with Prince and what he wanted to what he wanted to try to get out there. And I also like, too, when they were filming the scenes of Xavier going through his, what would you call them, seizures or whatnot and freezing the people. Like, we've always seen him throughout the movies being able to stop time in a sense. And here they had to present it in such a way in which it wasn't just stopping time. There was a, there was a cause and effect to it. And while there was CG involved, it was violently shaking this camera around to try to get the, the, the right effect for it because it seemed very painful um, if you were stuck in this vortex, so right. to speak. So, Well, they also, one of the interesting, instead of Hugh Jackman trying to portray the moment as if he's just doing whatever, they actually held him back with two people via rope around his... Around his um, Abdomen. Stomach. Stomach. Which I found very interesting because, yeah, then then you're actually struggling. You're not pretending <laughs> to struggle. You're actually struggling to move right. forward. Um, so I found that quite fascinating. And I, I thought the technique worked worked to a, a great degree. I, yeah. I like the, you know, that that's an interesting fact too because it made it real and authentic. But also we've seen in the other films like what happens to everyone when like something does happen to Charles, when he's focusing on a certain particular human group or x-men group you can see where like the physicality of how they, it actually stops people and how it affects them and I, I like this was like a new version of you know the immensity of what his power is yes and i thought it was really well done as simple and blurry and shaky as it was it got the effect across that everyone is affected yeah and the irony of it all is this is a man who is there he wanted to bridge the gap between mutants and humanity and show that mutants can be are good and can be good for society that they shouldn't be branded i mean yet his power ended up not, well, killing mutants and has ill effect on on, uh, on us good old humans as well so i mean there was that again another another part of the dark irony of it all is where he wanted to save humanity but yet his again in, in a sense well, it almost it almost proves a point to those past X Men movies where they're saying you're really not good for humanity, and his degenerative weakness ends up not being good for humanity. He has to be taken away. He has to be secluded. He has to go out on a boat. He's got to get away from civilization so that he doesn't harm uh, humanity in any which way. 
So I found that that was very interesting and, and just dark irony of it all from yeah. these movies. Absolutely. Um, moving towards the editing side of it, um, Michael McCluster did the editing, and one of the things that he cites, it, it, it took him a long time to sort of, it, like at the beginning it was a very long process. He really wanted to get to know the footage, so by the time... Uh, James got finished shooting the movie, he could basically just know every piece of, 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 of film that was available to him mm-hmm. so they could get through it faster. Right. Um, and that's part of why they were able to pull it off so fast is because, you know, he in- inherently just knew the footage so well. Right. Um, which is a big part of editing that most people don't. Like, yeah, you can push buttons all you want, but if you don't know the story, if you don't know the footage that's available to you, you're not going to pull it off quite well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, absolutely. Now, you were talking, too, like, you know, because they did film, like we said, in New Orleans, New Mexico. And um, production designer Francois Ardway, uh, they they utilized for the big easy stages on the NASA Michelle Assembly Facility lot to construct a lot of these massive sets, including the smelting plant hideout and uh, an Oklahoma City casino room. Um so, which, which I find very, very fascinating, interesting, using that. Um, being that this is a road trip movie, too, um, part of which becomes a character in a road trip movie is your car. <laughs> like, his limo, he was a... He, that montage scene of him picking up the various people, whether it's the girls, the guy, like, that was a great scene, and he's just like, yeah, whatever, I just want to get paid. Um, I think but, one of the best moments with the, the limo thing was when they're stopping at the casino hotel for the first time, and it's all beaten up, right. and all shot down, I was like, yep, you can yeah. just leave it in the front, it's fine. Um, so... Uh, they had basically it's modeled after a Chrysler 300, and Logan. They actually had a car technician, Nick Pugue. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, there were there are three limos. They had two finished ones, and then one stunt car, which has the same look, but it's a Baja racer car with 16-inch suspension travel since it has to be able to do jumps, go through ditches, and tear across the desert at about 50 miles per hour. So, which which is pretty cool. Um, So, Keen, actually, too, uh, give her credit because she she did train uh, for her fight scenes in Spain um, before arriving in the U.S. And when she got here, we had about one month with her, said the stunt coordinator, Garrett Warren, and we had claws that she could hold in her hand so she could see what that was like. And I would have her use paper, claw the paper and slice it. And she really knew what it was like to have claws instead of just wielding them in the air. So that's pretty cool, too. You know, and good for her. She's starting to train in Spain and, and all. So I think that's pretty good. Her background's in gymnastics anyway. So hence, jumping from a bookshelf and having her dad film her and doing the flips. You know, again, I think that truly cast... They, James Mangold had the right instinct, you know? And sometimes, you know, I get the studio wants to be safe, but he had the eye. He knew, and she was perfect. She was great. Yeah, well, um, also to cinematography, this is something to look forward to. Um, and this still kind of ties into pr- promotion, but they, they tweeted out or Instagrammed out a photo of, of a black and white still image. And people were asking, is it, the movie going to be in black and white? Because they 
like the way it looked. So as of now, it there should be a black and white version on the Blu-ray as well. Yeah, it, they're going to do something uh, very similar, and, and James Mangold uh, um, said this. He, he was not averse to releasing the movie in black and white, um, and he's like, yeah, there were a lot of people who just hate black and white. It was but much like um, uh, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, they released a chrome version, a black and white version of that on Blu-ray uh, earlier. Could have been the end of 2016, I believe. So he says, uh, he goes, watching this movie in black and white, it was really does make this a, a different movie. And the noir aspects that you were talking about earlier, you know, come out. It would work. Yeah. And he says, Hugh Jackman looks great, like, in black and white. He goes, you know. So I look forward to that uh, as well. Me you too. Know, that'll be great. Um, Marissa, you love music. In fact, you, you found a lot of this, uh, this research for music. And I'm, then I'll let Dimitri add his own bit because he loves loves yeah, music. I but do. I'll let you kick, off, I kick us off. Um, yeah, so the, the music we had, uh, Marco Beltrami, who composed it. And he actually wasn't the first person um, attached to this. We actually had Cliff Martinez um, he Beltrami replaced him, and he only had about six weeks to compose a whole new theme for Logan. So kudos to him for such a <laughs> fast turnaround on, on that. But the the interesting thing is, is uh, uh, Beltrami he worked on Hurt Locker and the um, the Wolverine earlier, and Three Tons of Yuma. So right. he he knows the Wolverine theme. He, he knows James Mangold. He, he knows Western theme and. Um, for, for the old man Logan theme, uh, he used a Hammond organ, glass harmonica, and drum kits. And then he also used, um, for the, like the 70 vibes, that incorporates the Western and road picture, um, which this film definitely is, both of oh, them. Oh, yeah. And for, for Laura's theme, he used organs and glass harmonica as well to unite her theme with Logan. So both, yeah. both of them used organ and harmonica, so they both sounded alike, and they're very similar. What, what you touched upon too is like the seventies. The seventies was a was was in a sense a, almost a boon for westerns. You know, I mean, they were pop, they were still popular. Uh, all the made more popular by Clint Eastwood. Um, and when you talk about the music, it had that seventies western feel to it. Um, and I felt that it never. It never again. It was a, it was a great score because it never overshadowed the action that was taking place, and it only helped reinforce emotion, not force the emotion upon the audience, but it helps reinforce the emotion going through. I really enjoyed the score to this uh, because, in a sense, it was modern, but it's a throwback. Um, and much like, again, what Mangold is able to do is really make this a superhero. It's, it's, it's a superhero movie with this Western grid, as I said, at the top of the show. And it felt that way. It, obviously, it's a road movie, right? And this is why, too, I guess, you know, Marissa, I remember you, you know, saying you weren't expecting this. I wasn't expecting this either. I and mean, quite honestly, from the trailers, I didn't. I, I got a semblance of plot, what may happen. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect it to be this road movie. And, and essentially, at the end, I walked out and we're going, that was a Western. 
basically. His limo is his horse, <laughs> right? And uh, he's the he's the guns he's the waning gunslinger. He's got to be the hero, and he's got to do it one more time. And uh, yeah, it was very dusty. Um, it felt like an odor, uh, and that's O A T E R, not odor. So it it felt like an old western. The way that the sun looked, even when we come across where the kids are, I mean, it was barren. We're away, but the beautiful cinematography, yeah. This movie, and this is what I really enjoyed about this movie because we were outside of a city. It gave us a. It gave us for the first time, I think, in a. I can't. I don't know of any other superhero movie, like. But they they're usually all in. A big city, whether it's Metropolis or the know, only place where, yeah, you know. when we're on Xavier's like mansion, right. <laughs> that's as close right. as we get to the countryside, right? Right, right. Yeah. yeah, you know. But and fortunately for Wolverine, he took us to to feudal Japan, and like we got to see some great locations watching uh, uh, Wolverine. Wolverine. I, th- I think, which really sets it apart. Because the last Wolverine movie was a really solid movie. I had a conversation with a friend. He's like, oh, sort of hoping they could do one more movie before this one. Like, I knew this one was coming. But I would have liked to have seen, like, a little bit of a follow-up with what happened to, you know, after the events of that last Wolverine movie. Because it was really so good. Um, But, again, I think, what was the year? 2029, I think, is when this one takes place. Yeah. And so it's not like the far future because that is a realistic time period. Because sure. visually, not much has changed. The cars are still the same. Technology wasn't really a part of this film, which I yeah. it's actually kind of refreshing. Same here. Um, Agreed. Like they they weren't relying on computers and tracking and you know and yeah. X Y and Z technology to track them down. Um, I enjoy even the clothes. Uh, yeah, uh, the clothes look the same. Danielle the Orlandi. The, yeah, the costume designer. They kept it very earthy. In, in fact, for Laura, she starts out with a very simple and monotone look. Jeans. And she jeans. looks like a prisoner who's escaped. And when she gets, you know, to pick out her clothes, we see this ruthless killer who loves violence pick out a unicorn T-shirt. <laughs> Along with pink accessories. That's what I meant. There's the ferocity and then there's the little girl. And again, a lot of that can come out from the actress, but from the clothes that she wears as well. You know. There was a sweet irony to the character, as uh, the costume designer said. Uh, I, I agree. So, yeah. And they didn't want them to look like superheroes either. There was no superhero type costume. You know, well, that was that, it, that's why the comics were brought in, and because I mean, they they literally were superheroes in the comics, and then as. Logan says, like, that's as far away from the truth as you can imagine. Right. Like, that's not how it was. Yep, he doesn't stand out. He's wearing cheap black suit jacket with an old pair of Levi's. Black Levi's, you know, very, very, very simple. There's no leather on them. Well, even part. Laura's in jeans. When she's that's at true. The, when she's at the warehouse, she mm-hmm. looks like a regular little girl. Yep. Sitting there eating cereal. <clears throat> and again, Decapitating too- guys. <laughs> that scene was great. <laughs> that was great. Um, very little color in the film. So the principal characters, they could hardly use any other color on them as well. The only time she says, uh, Orlini explains, 
that you see color in the film is with the characters that don't belong in their world, like the passengers that Logan... And, you know, when you think about it, it's true. When he's figuring out the passengers that are coming from a hotel or from a, a restaurant wedding. or a wedding, they are the most colorful when our characters themselves are... They lack that color, um, which I really appreciated that, too. That'll be interesting to see in the black and white version. It will be. <laughs> to see well, how they can pop them. But it'll be light. It'll be, yeah. They'll be brighter just because mm-hmm. they're wearing brighter colors. Yeah. Um, it'll come off that way. Where, where Logan will be a, a, more brooding, I think, yeah. because of, of the dark and his scruffy beard and everything. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait to see that version uh, as well. You know, this is a movie, especially now knowing what, the movie is it's a good one to go and revisit so you can pick out things even more so uh, i think yeah in terms of the promotion for the movie uh, empire magazine chose the trailer as the best trailer of the year um and aaron crouch of uh the hollywood reporter said if logan delivers on the promise of this trailer it will truly be a rarity in modern superhero movie making and you know what for the first time ever I think it del- a trailer actually delivers. Maybe not for the first time ever. That's a little hyperbole. But nonetheless, the trailer does deliver of what the movie's going to be. Absolutely. Maybe not ex- what you're going to get plot-wise, but in terms of feeling. There's been a creative shift in how trailers are being cut now, if you notice. And that is, it's the key use of music. Whether it's an old pop song, an old rock and roll song, music is becoming more and more prevalent in trailers today. They, they, they cut it to the song. The use of the Johnny Cash song in this trailer um, was brilliant. Um, it, it was great. And it gave us, this truly was one of those trailers that gave us the movie that we ultimately sat down and watched. Um, but I'm also going to take it a step further. I believe the the print material, the in-theater marketing material, also worked. Although, am I wrong? If somebody can print up or, or look up Schindler's List, I mean, the, the, isn't there a... Wasn't one of the Schindler's List posters so very similar very to this, similar. minus the claws. Um, you know, mm. you know, um, but the print materials, the various things that they had, I think from a marketing standpoint, they did a really good job. The only thing that they did is they 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 hid the fact that this was a western. <laughs> you know, yeah, but... you know, probably rightfully so. I think the trailer was really well done because it was essentially just a music video that sold this movie yeah and like and i enjoy johnny cash and even his johnny cash's version his music video for yeah. the song it was kind of cut the same yeah. way and yeah. or edited the same way and with the, the color tone and everything and and because the song builds up to a crescendo sure um the movie kind of builds up to you know a climactic Agreed. point and you can't really tell you can from the lyrics you can translate that this is going to be an emotional it's going to be a dark movie movie and but that's exactly what we got. Absolutely. In the film. So Absolutely. I, I think it's like the best choice for mm-hmm. this, um, yeah. Portrait. And it's and, and, and let's let's face it. Since uh, Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails, Nine Inch Nails did this song. This song, and this song has popped up in other trailers and or movies. Um, 
so you can almost say that it could have been cliche, but for this, it sold the movie. It makes you go, wow. And the fact that you did get a sense that this is going to be different. It was rated R. They, they, they made, I believe, a Red Band 2, uh, like did. a Red Band trailer. So they didn't shy away from the fact. And they really made this an adult movie. Um, this wasn't like Kick-Ass, which is rated R. It's definitely not Deadpool. Like This wasn't played for self-referential laughs. This is like, like I said, you could take the plot out of this movie, put it in another type of a genre, like another. You could take it out of the West, and you'd still have a really good rated R noir type of film. Uh, so, and I think that's the strength of where, of Logan. Yeah. Uh, before we move <clears throat> on to box office, um, speaking of Deadpool, let's talk about. The, the opening. It's not the stinger, it's the opening. Sure. And everyone was... Because that, that was the big thing online of uh, the, the running time changed by two minutes and oh my god, what are they going to have at the end of the credits? Right. <laughs> nope. It happens at the beginning. And uh, I mean, like, it's, it's good for motion for Deadpool. I think it threw the movie off because the Deadpool scene was funny, was light. There was purpose humor in it. And that was a completely different tone than what the film was. And I think it just set it off emotionally wrong. I want to know what, what Fox, in their in-theater marketing or exhibit relations department, how they made the argument to exhibitors. Because this is a short. This ran, it seemed to run longer than two minutes. Yeah, it ran me. longer than yeah, it should have. It, it was definitely not two minutes. I, I didn't mind it. I didn't see it coming. Oh, I didn't see it coming. But it's basically, it's a long trailer for Deadpool 2. Now, it was funny that Deadpool was going to see, he was going to the movies to see Logan. <laughs> um, and, and, and what happens in, in this short, because that's what it is, it's a short, you know. But to get to, to maneuver that, okay, there, there, are, there are, believe it or not, there are some semblance of guidelines and rules for when you're making a trailer. You know, they may have changed since the last I, I, I handled this sort of thing. But, you know, when you're having anything that's over two minutes, that's going three minutes long or over two minutes, you know, you're allowed so many a year to do that. But you have to stay within like a... You have to stay within a certain time amount, and you're allowed one really long trailer that's like two and a half, almost three minutes. This was a short. And how do you sell that? I, I want to know, like, because obviously it's marketing Deadpool 2. It has nothing to do with Logan. Even though there was a Logan poster in it, and that's right. the only tie-in. Right? Well, well, he does say if this market. was Logan, you probably... Right. Yeah. So I just want to <laughs> know how they sold it to the MPAA. I mean, it's a it's it's rated R and rated R, so that's easy. But how do you sell it to exhibitors? Where the exhibitors like because ex ultimately the exhibitor has the choice as to whether or not they're going to keep a trailer on. And usually the studio is allowed one attachment, which means it by attachment I'm going back to an old film turn where you would attach the trailer to the print. Now everything's digital, right? So you would have that on the actual print, the hard drive. And then for, for a movie theater today, believe it or not, it's sort of kind of like iTunes. You drag and drop your trailers on, okay? So the studio uh, 
20th Century Fox in this case, they, they would have their attachment, which I'm assuming this is Logan. And I believe uh, I saw uh, Alien Covenant. Did you guys yeah. see that trailer when I you? Okay. That. So that would be their enclosure, their digital enclosure. Um, but I just want to know how they got away with like a five minute. Like they knew ahead of time, so they had to prime everybody. It's 20th Century Fox, but a studio like A24, it would never fly as well with a smaller studio. Well, the the interesting part to me, obviously this was a big thing. However, Ryan Reynolds then the next day after the premiere released it on his YouTube channel. That's that to me. I'm a little bummed about. Like let Logan have its run. Let that be sort of a surprise or if you find out about it fine let that be sort of a helping driving force for the movie but don't let it just live online well not, I mean, not the next day i saw logan that at th- the thursday night previews and that deadpool thing was up it was like all over it was pretty much a, a ton of websites the deadpool thing mm. to see by all you're right it sort of kind of takes away the weight of that because it was so unexpected. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't it, mind. I I, yeah. I actually didn't mind it. Yeah. I found you know it's no different to me than watching a short in a Pixar movie. Sure, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just I just like with that. I like that. I go to the theater and I see it there, and that's it. My yeah. guess is that that might be how they sold it. Mm-hmm. They might be outside of calling it a trailer. My guess is I, I'm willing to bet they called it a short, and they probably said it's not unlike a Disney movie that has. A short before the main attraction, like the animated movies, we're calling this a short. This is our short. Yeah. That's probably what it was. It's probably how they got away with 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 uh, having it not being lopped off. So, well, um, apart from that, it, the two. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but um, what was the text? I didn't really get the text. I think there was that stuff, self-referential shit that goes in all the Deadpool movies. I mean, there's only been one. But I think it was just really to joke at itself. I at see. The, the text. Yeah. The, the scroll. Yeah, the scroll of, like, all oh, these words. Jeez, I, it was, it was so I, I had no idea what that it. was. I would have loved to have read what was going on there, uh, and then it was over. And I haven't taken the time. I'm sure somewhere, it's got to be somewhere online. Somebody had to have pirated. Hopefully. Hopefully. I didn't. <laughs> I well, didn't. no, it's online, so you yeah. can freeze it. Yeah. Well, Why don't we find it online? It's the world's it smallest text. Even yeah, if I was oh sitting God. at the screen, I still yeah. couldn't read that. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, but I, I found it humorous. I, I, I didn't mind it. I thought, God, did Superman do this? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was hysterical. I think, it, yeah, I definitely poked fun at Superman. Oh, which, yeah, like, I, I thought it was funny, and it's a good promotion for Deadpool. I don't think it was necessary at the beginning of this film. Yeah, He never made it to the movie. Bummer. Never did. <laughs> but he got his Cherry Garcia ice cream. All right, box office. Let's talk box office. Um... I did better than expected. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, yet another fine example where tracking was right on the money. And by right on the money, I mean they weren't even close. Uh, I think they had this coming in at 60, going mm-hmm. into the weekend, maybe. And uh, ends up doing 88.4 for opening weekend on 4,071 locations. Uh, it, as of yesterday, March 9th, the movie's uh, brought in domestically $114 million plus dollars. Um, foreign, for, foreign, it's done $190 million. Worldwide, globally, this movie has already made $305 million. 
worldwide. So, you know, box office, China has been, I believe it's released in China. Uh, and I think they even, they may have even contributed money to it. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, the movie's just hauling it in. It helps that it's a good movie. You know, it's going to, it's going to have staying power. Um, but it helps that, uh, because if I'm correct, there's <clears throat> a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, Yeah, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you don't really expect that. Uh, you know, you, superhero movies have gotten some good reviews. You know, the Captain America movies have gotten some good reviews. But uh, 92% for a rated R, um, gritty, uh, what's essentially a superhero movie. That's, that's, you know, and for it to make the money that it has, that it's made. Because usually, and even James Mangold said this. The studio executives, once they hear rated R, they said, you're leaving money on the table. Uh, not, 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 not from where I'm sitting, 114? <laughs> uh, but it also helps that this is like a f- part of a franchise. There's already sure. a set following that's just loyal and going to watch this film. So that yeah. helps with the numbers as well. Well, Yeah, I mean, you have to play into that. Um, like I said, if, if you want a great comparison, like, um, the Forbes article is really fantastic. Um, but uh, let's see. It was the biggest R rated R debut after Deadpool for uh, for March. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see. It, it was the biggest opening in general, like over four thousand screens. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. That's a lot of locations. Mm-hmm. That really is a lot of uh, locations. That's a lot of theaters to open up a movie on. Now, and that's not screens. Like this is where the dichotomy comes into play. It's 4,000 locations, okay? So it's a theater average. When you're talking about screens, right, uh, you know, your multiplex can have two, three, four prints, depending. And hell, since they have it digitally, if the movie's doing really well, they can, they can make five prints <laughs> available, uh, you know, for the customers, you know, to give them the option to go see this movie. But 4,000 is a pretty hefty release domestically. Yeah, I mean, most theaters that that I saw, you could pretty much pick another Logan running every fifteen minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and, we, and this is the other thing too about March. Summer hasn't officially started yet, but we're getting summer caliber kind of movies already. Well, like certainly, you're March, getting Kong. You're getting uh, Furious soon. Beauty the Power and the Beast. Rangers. But Beauty and the Beast is coming. I mean. March, I, you know, I'm calling it March Madness. I mean, we're we're actually getting good, we're getting good good movies. That's in good March. for especially good for us. The Oscars <laughs> literally just finished, and yeah. it's usually it's like there's a lull after the Oscars, and the usually, fact that we're getting strong films right now. You're right. Good. It's usually a dumping ground. Um, and the other thing, though, too, as you know, when you talk to the, the, the uh, you talk about the Oscars and 2016 in whole, uh, you know, as a whole. Listen, I know that this movie is a little bit dark and whatever, but it's not so damn depressing that I'm walking out of the theater feeling like I just got punched in the gut for two hours. You know, I mean, this is a good movie. We talked about Get Out, and we've talked about we movies have been they're they're, they're fun again. It's fun to go to the movies, um, and March is proving that. And I think it's going to continue with like Beauty and the Beast, uh, potentially Ghost in the Shell. Uh, I know we're going to talk about Kong, um, but yeah, we're we're seeing some 
some fun movies, which I think is just desperately needed. Well, here's what uh, Daphne Keene has also stated that she's she's willing, which is quite the operative term. Willing, like I'm sure she's more than willing to do a spinoff movie. Of course. Oh, yeah. um, so perhaps we have that to look forward to. Hopefully, and- it'll be in English. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in honor of her father Wolverine, <laughs> probably. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited. You, you, I think this breathes life into X Men as well. Um, I think that X Men has always been exciting to me. Um, Apocalypse sort of took a little bit of wind out of the sails for a lot of people, including myself. Um, but that doesn't mean I, I don't want it to continue. Um, so. I, I like where this is headed. I don't know where it's headed. Well, I believe Simon Kinberg, unless I misread this, is is going to be taking. He may even direct the next X Men movie. Mm-hmm. Who's a producer? He's of been the in writing. He's, yeah. So, <clears throat> um, listen. I think the X Men franchise has been a relatively solid. Like Wolverine aside, the X Men franchise as a whole. Particular since particularly when they decided to reboot with that Days of Futures Past, which is a really good movie. I, I enjoyed Apocalypse. It's been on cable, so I've been watching it, and I, I, I enjoy it. I, I really think it's a decent, excellent movie. Two thirds of a movie <clears throat> is what I said. Yeah, I mean, listen, some of the third act, which I think I even John Ottman mentioned, or, or, or but. But it's still a good movie, and and if you and again, it's on cable now, so you just stop on it and you'll go, okay, maybe watch I can re- watch it. But it's been a good, it's been a good series. It's it's been a really solid series for what Brian Singer has done. And just because of like, if you didn't like Apocalypse, don't poo poo on Brian Singer. I mean, Jesus, it was because of him basically that, in a sense, reinvigorated superhero movies with X Men. Nobody expected the X-Men movie to be as big as it was. And you have to credit him for hiring Hugh Jackman and bringing him on board. So, Well, also, at the time of the, the first film, you had big-name actors in that, so that also helps. Like, Hugh Jackman really wasn't anybody until uh-huh. that film that sure. put him on the map. Like, he was a musical you yeah. know, artist uh, on Broadway at that time. But the the fact, like, even the first X-Men, you had Fomka, you had Patrick Stewart, you had Halle Berry. You, like, you had actors who have already had an established acting Absolutely. career that also helped with the film. Yeah. But the interesting part, they weren't, they, they, they were focal points, but it was Wolverine. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like Fomka was sort of the character we follow right off the bat. We follow... Rogue no, and Wolverine. Rogue Wolverine. Right. So, yeah, at the beginning. Yes. You know, and, and then obviously part of the plot is there's that confusion of like, why are they after you, Wolverine? Well, they're not. They're after yeah. Rogue. Yeah. You just happen to be there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, you know, they, they, they took a big shot. And I forget, um, I forget the actress's name, number one, who played Rogue, but number two, Anna at, Paquin. Anna Paquin. at, at yeah. what point she was in her career. I mean, yeah. True Blood wasn't a thing at that yeah, time. But like Anna Paquin won, already won an yeah. Oscar uh-huh. at that point. Yeah. And you yeah. even had Ian McKellen in that film. Yeah, like, again, you had all these big names yep. back in 1999, 2000. Yeah. That also helped the film. Yeah, it helped. And then, and then what helped it too is on that rare occasion, they made a sequel that was equally as good, and some people argue even better than the original, and the original was really good. <laughs> so 
they made an even better movie. So that's why I do credit Brian Singer and his crew for what they set in motion and what they what they accomplished and what they set out to do. So um, I want to do something too that's interesting because you started it last week and I I just wanted to include an audience breakdown of this movie because sure. I think it's sort of interesting. Um, so Logan drew sixty three percent guys. That's okay. Thirty seven percent women with. 83% between the ages of 18 and 44 years of age, which is fascinating to me. Uh, the movie earned five out of five stars in exit polls. Um, Logan top cities were uh, New York, Los Angeles, Atlanta, San Antonio, <clears throat> okay, Washington, D.C., Toronto, Houston, Montreal, uh, San Francisco, and Calgary, Canada. Uh, Canada repped 8.2% of the weekend's ticket sales. And with the PLFs, that's premium large format screens, IMAX, XD, uh, in 12.3 million from 558 for a 15% of uh, slice of the Logan's pie, IMAX itself drew 12% of the marketplace with 10 million from 381 locations. So that's, uh, to me, that's, I, I love those breakdowns when you talk about the cities because, like, who the heck would think that 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 San Antonio, you know, would be one of the top top earning cities uh, going into it? And that, you know, our good friends at the Great White North, hey, eh? you know, brought in some business as well. Well, I mean, Canada big, has played a big part in the X-Men films, filming in Vancouver, <clears throat> yeah. filming in Toronto. You know, you, you got all those locations. So it, it, Canada, it makes sense that Canada would be supportive of yeah, this film. Absolutely. Fair enough. Um, let's get final thoughts, and then I, th I thought we'd play a fun video of all the faces of Logan over the years. But let's start with final thoughts, then we'll go into the video. Ladies first, Marissa. You know, I, overall, I did enjoy this film. I think it was a perfect wrap-up for Logan, for Wolverine, and I am actually satisfied with how they ended it. After we talked about it, did you like the movie a little more? You said in the top of the show. Maybe after I talk about this. Yeah, I, I appreciate a lot of different aspects of right. it. I personally still don't like westerns. Right. I <laughs> probably don't want to watch Shane still after this. Sorry, guys. But, you know, overall, I, I think this film was a very solid film for acting, cinematography, storyline, and just wrapping up a character, I think it was well done. Yeah. You know, I, I will just put this out there for you, uh, Marissa, regarding, look, a good Western, a good story shouldn't necessarily have to rely, like, on its setting. Like, but there are, like, if you look at movies, uh, uh, like, like say, even 310 to Yuma, uh, um, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, like, you can take that story out of the West and put it into the urban jungle uh, or, or the concrete jungle and... You will still have like a good story to tell, I think. Um, this is a movie that I'm looking forward to seeing again. Uh, now knowing how it all plays out, because maybe I'll pick out, I'll see other things. Uh, like the way I saw that this housing unit would look like Cerebro. Um, you know, watching the end of X-Men Apocalypse, too, brought that home. Because basically, Transgen comes in, they steal the vials and Weapon X. They have his DNA. So that really leads into this movie. And I liked how they sort of tied that in. Um, I'll be looking forward to, and hopefully, hopefully they're not going to screw us on this black and white thing. By, and I mean this by, they're going to make us double dip. So the movie will come out on Blu-ray. 
And the movie will come out on Blu-ray, but it'll just come out as the movie that we saw with maybe some extras. And then, like, six months later, oh, here's the black and white version for you to do. That's what they'll probably do. But I am looking forward to seeing this in black and white uh, and seeing some of those deleted scenes that we talked about here. Well, uh, I mean, mean, to to that regard, I hope they do spend time with it for the black and white because it's not just a straight oh just make it black and white i hope they really make work with darks and lights because that's your color palette is black and white so just you know and sort of the intensity in between mangled has seen it this way and i would also it would also be nice and fitting if to hear like a james mangled hugh jackman commentary Mm, yeah it would be it would be interesting to hear hugh jackman's take on the filming of this particular movie um, well, before we head out, let's watch a video, The Faces of Logan Over the Years. Hit it, Steve, will you? <laughs> Here we go as it loads. So this is Hugh Jackman as Wolverine over 17 years. <sighs> and we'll get it working one day. <laughs> 17 years. We're standing by with anticipation. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, and he's I had think many different looks. Absolutely, huh. and and I think as an actor, though, I mean, I, I can't think of anybody who's seventeen years and he's been in every single one of those movies. Whether it's a bit part, whether it's for a button at the end of the movie, like I, I think that's you know nobody's played James Bond for that long. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Take two. Sabretooth. Storm. What do they call you? Wheels? <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Grow those back. Excuse me, I'm Eric Lentra. Sounds like Xavier. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I tell you what, you twisted mutant bitch. When did you open these bracelets? We'll see who's made of what. Where did they dig you up? You're gonna find this hard to believe, but uh, you sent me. You and Charles. From the future. can help you getting to the end and it's Jean Grey holy fuck what a way to end and uh, so that's by Variety they've asked us to share this video until we have (laughs) (laughs) Um, we've done our part alright well there you have it Uh, I think there's so much to talk about this movie but uh, but that's what we'll leave you today Thank you guys, as always, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. In the meantime, at DMovies1701. Yeah, please support me on Twitter. Say hey. At Serafini TV. That's right. And uh, follow us here at The Popcorn Talk. As mentioned, we have a whole show dedicated just for Marvel movie news. In fact, it's called that. So definitely, for more information, check that out. Um, if you love movies and you love dissecting them with us, definitely check back in. We're doing Kong next week. We're doing Beauty and the Beast. We're doing Ghost in a Shell. 
uh, Black Panther, the list goes on and on. We'll do uh, X-23 when it comes out, I promise. <laughs> and we've done previous X-Men movies. That's oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. And we've, in fact, interviewed John Ottman yeah. multiple times about yeah. him. So uh, plenty of stuff to dig through if you're a fan. So uh, as always, appreciate your time. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next Thanks, time. All. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.